You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, we've been saying for the past couple of weeks that we had some exciting stuff here at Discovery and some connections. And so if you were here last week, you heard about one of them, uh, our connection with Isaiah 117 House. And so uh, if you were here, you got to be part of this awesome experience we went. Uh, we're giving part of our land here at Discovery to uh, this awesome ministry. And we were able to go and pray around where the house is going to be. And if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go listen to the message. Uh, you hear the story about 117 um, and to hear about that partnership. And then this Compassion Experience, I'm excited for another partnership. We are partnering with Compassion International as a church. And in the middle of September, September 13th through the 16th, they're bringing the Compassion Experience here. And to, to give you a glimpse of what that looks like, normally they only do that at churches over 1,000. And so they're doing it with us as an experiment. Like, this is a huge deal. They're bringing two giant trailer trucks, and, it's in a, then they and they, it takes like a whole day to build the display. And we get a walk through it. They're anticipating 1,500 to 3,000 people in our community coming through our parking lot that weekend to experience this. And so I wanted to encourage all of you to go sign up. Um, it is an amazing experience. It's a chance to go to a third world country without leaving Bristol, right? And to go and see what it's like for a child in, in that living conditions. And so you can sign up for that on our website. I was just on there this morning um, on the link, and the spots are already filling up for that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And so it's going to be amazing. So I want to encourage you to go sign up as a family, as an individual, as a group, whatever it would be. Um, to go to this awesome thing. We have been going through the book of Acts, right, for this whole year, and we've gotten to this point, and as I was looking at this story in the end of chapter 18, uh, a, a story of my own came back to me. It was a reminder of a student uh, my first semester at the school we were at in Taiwan. His name was Bill, and we had just got to, got to Taiwan. We hadn't been there long, and the, the session started at the school, and we taught English using the Bible at the school. And I met Bill that morning. He was one of the first students there. Uh, it's an eight-week semester, and, and he was about 22. The, he had finished most of college, and he was in this transitional place. And his parents said they would pay for him to help improve his English. So he came here. He didn't know anything about the Bible. He didn't even know the name Jesus. He had never seen a Bible, didn't know anything about it. But he was here just to learn English. And so we were playing foosball in, in the atrium area with two other guys, and that's where I met Bill, and Bill and I are playing foosball, and then the girls started to come in. And once he saw one of the female students, it was over. Bill just dropped me as I was playing my foosball teammate, like he was just done with the game, and he took off. And that was basically Bill's eight weeks. Like every time we were in class, I tried to get his attention, and he was always distracted by the ladies. He was an athlete, he was a strong guy, he was a man's man, and he was always trying to impress the women. And so this was a glimpse of Bill. But Bill was there to learn English. And so we were going through, and one of the first classes that you have is the book of Matthew. And so he's introduced to Jesus as a baby, and then he starts seeing Jesus do these miracles and perform these miracles and these uh, te great teachings, and he's learning a little bit about Jesus. About halfway through, the students have an opportunity. They can sign up for one-on-one -on -one English work with one of the teachers. And basically, on, on our side, this is an opportunity for us to do discipleship and dig in a little deeper and tell them about Jesus and, and see if they're interested in giving their life over to him. 
On the student side, they're just excited to be able to speak one-on-one with a native-speaking uh, English person. And so he, Bill signed up, and, and I had the fortune of being in Bill's mentor, right? And so our first meeting, uh, Bill and I go out, and we go down the street, and I'm looking for a place that we can meet, and I can't read any of the signs. But Bill's an athlete, and there's this place that's got a couple of outdoor tables and a lot of TV screens with sports going on. Uh, a lot of races and so forth. And so uh, I think, okay, well, this is a great place. Bill's going to like it. I like it. I go up and I get two Cokes and we sit down and open my Bible to the book of Matthew and this little program that we're going through and talking about who Jesus is. And we're talking about Jesus and about the promises from the Old Testament about who he is. And we're working through this. And, and, that's, and I ask him if he has any questions. And he asks me this or that. And, and we get through the first session. Next week we have our second session. And I think, well, that, that was a great spot. You know, it's close. And so we go back to this, this sports area. We get two Cokes. And, and we're sitting there reading. And, and so after this next session, I was with the director. And I said, hey, that's where I've been meeting Bill. Turns out it's a gambling facility. It's a gambling joint that the two of us are sitting there, and that's why there's a bunch of men watching all these sports events, because they're betting on it. And so uh, Bill and I are sitting in this gambling parlor, drinking Coke, reading the book of Matthew. And so uh, the third time, I take him to a tea shop, and uh, we go, and we're diving into, and this point, we're getting to the main part of Jesus' story, the death and resurrection. Bill has been going through the semester, and we've been working through the book of Matthew, but he hasn't got to that part yet. And so as I'm telling him, I, I tell him about this Jesus, and, so, and we talk about the class because I've been teaching his Matthew class and, and about the miracles and everything, and then I, we get to the part where he dies on the cross, and Bill's just blown away. And he didn't know that this whole semester we've been leading up to this guy's death, this main character, this, this whole point of this school dies. And so he's blown away, and then I tell him, but, and we read the scriptures about his resurrection, and I, and I try to teach him about how because of his conquering of death, because of his conquering uh, of our sins, that we have salvation, that if we put our faith and our trust in him, that, that we would have eternal life. And, and I, I share all this with Bill, and, and he, he nods his head, and sometimes I don't know if he's understanding the English words, and, and I say, Are you, do you understand? And I have him kind of repeat back to me, and and he's getting the main idea. But that's all he's got is the knowledge. And so we have our fourth session. And I come and I say, hey, are you ready? Would, are you interested in accepting Jesus as your Savior? He said, no, no, not yet. But, but thank you for telling me all about him. And I say, okay, I understand. And so it's an eight-week semester. And the end of the term's coming. We're at week seven. And Bill's grandfather dies. Bill's grandfather is Buddhist, as is most everybody in Taiwan, and so he's headed to his, his grandfather's funeral, and, and Bill was sad, you know, as any of us would be when we lose our grandparent, and so I asked him at our last, our last session, hey, can I pray for you and for your trip? And he said, sure, that'd be great. So I pray for him and for safe travels, and, and so he goes. The next Tuesday, we don't have class on Monday, Tuesday morning, I'm there waiting for the students to come back. And there's some people playing foosball, and the ladies are, the female students are at this other section. This is where Bill usually will head to first. And Bill comes up the stairs, and he sees me. And he sees the ladies, and he turns to me. And tears start in his eyes. And he said, Mr. Matt. I said, what, Bill? He said, this weekend, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I thought, why? You know, what, what brought you to accept Jesus as your Savior at, at a Buddhist funeral? 
And he told me, he said, I went to the funeral for my grandfather, and, and this concept in Taiwan, it was not just Buddhist, but they had ancestral worship. And so anyone that dies of your grandparents, of your great-grandparents, aunts and uncles, you would sacrifice uh, temple money to. You would burn the temple money so they would have money to spend in the afterlife. And it was so much so that there was a certain amount you would want to sacrifice if you wanted them to have a phone in the afterlife, a certain amount you would sac and burn if, they, if you wanted them to have a car in the afterlife. And he said, all my aunts and my uncles, my parents, every, all my siblings are burning things for my grandpa. And it hit me. My grandpa's dead. He's not going to go on. One man did. Jesus. He told me, it hit me that Jesus conquered death. And that all these people sacrificing the same thing, Mr. Matt, that I used to do, sacrificing for my grandpa was useless. And I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I was so excited. And, and that week, uh, I, we filled up a little kid's, a little kid's swimming pool and, and baptized Bill that week at the school. And it was exciting to see that he went from just knowledge about Jesus to faith in Jesus. And I share that because that's the story that came to my mind multiple times this week as we're diving into the end of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19 in the book of Acts, is we're going to meet Apollos, and we're going to meet 12 of Apollos' disciples that had knowledge of Jesus, but they didn't have faith in him. They didn't have faith in the resurrection. They didn't have faith in the knowledge that their, that their salvation was secure. Their sins were wiped clean because Jesus died and rose again. And so we're going to meet these guys that are going to go from just knowledge about Jesus to a deep faith in them. So we pick up on this story. Uh, Paul has been in Corinth for quite a while, for 18 months, and he decides that he's being led by God to, to head back, and, and he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's made a, a Nazarite vow, and where you grow your hair long, and you abstain from any alcohol, and some, several other requirements is found in Deuteronomy, and he's made this vow, and so he shaves his head, and he's ready to go complete the vow in Jerusalem. And so on his journey, he goes with his two new friends, Aquila and Priscilla, and, and they go to Ephesus, and there he kind of sets up shop again with these two friends, and he says, hey, you guys stay here, I'll be back, continue to minister to this new church in Ephesus. And so he heads off, and he leaves them, and, and his two friends come to meet a new character that we're going to see in our story named Apollos. Paulus is from Alexandria, uh, from Egypt, uh, one of the most educated cities in the Roman Empire. It's a prominent city that prides itself on education. It has the great library of Alexandria with over 700,000 volumes in it. There's 600,000 people in the city. So there's more books than there are people. Education and wisdom is so highly valued. And Apollos is from there. And Apollos is now teaching in Ephesus. And so this is where we pick up on the story, is we have this guy, Apollos, who's been teaching a little bit about Jesus. He has some knowledge of Jesus, but not complete knowledge and not faith. Verse 24 of chapter 18 of Luke says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he's been teaching about this Messiah that was to come. 
He has a great grasp of the Old Testament, and so he's telling people, he's telling the Jews, he's telling the Gentiles about this Messiah that's to come. And we, he believes that it's even Jesus. That he knows the story up to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, if you remember, was Jesus' cousin. He was the one that was to pave the way. As the Old Testament predicted that there would be one that would come pave the way, that was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist even baptizes Jesus at one point. And so Apollos now has the story up till that baptism. That he understands the baptism of John the Baptist, which was a baptism he would be out in the Jordan baptizing about repentance, about the things from the past, that you would have your sins washed clean that you had done, but it wouldn't do anything for your future sins, but that you'd be washed clean, that you'd be kind of seeking forgiveness, and would be baptizing in the hope of a Messiah to come. John the Baptist, uh, his baptisms were pointing towards a Messiah. The Old Testament was pointing towards a Messiah. But then we have Paul, and we have you and me that are post-Jesus, that we are looking back, and when we have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we're baptized in the idea and the forgiveness of our sins because Jesus has died and rose again. So this is what Paul's been teaching in, but Apollos is teaching the pre-Jesus resurrection about this baptism of what was to come. And so a lot of people wonder, where did he get this teaching? And, and some believe that as Alexandria was a, a very educated town, that some of John the, uh, John the Baptist's disciples uh, left him and, and went to Alexandria and began to preach and tell the story. And they told the stories of the Old Testament and connected that to the Messiah that was to come. And, and about John the Baptist and even about John the Baptist who was to baptize the Messiah. Remember, John the Baptist knew that's who Jesus was. But the story ended there. His, John's disciples would have not known what eventually happens to Jesus. About the trial and the beating, about the crucifixion, about being buried in a tomb, and three days later rising again. So that story never made it to Apollos. And so Apollos is passionate about this. Apollos believes that Jesus is the Messiah, but he doesn't have the knowledge that there's salvation in that. He doesn't have the knowledge that there's forgiveness of his sins. That death has been conquered. And so, we pick back up in verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. As I think about that meal, that Sabbath meal, that they said, why don't you come over today? We got a little more to tell you. I think about those meetings with Bill. And they're meeting with him and they're breaking bread and they're at the table and Apollos is there, and they say, what do you know about this Messiah to come? And, and he tells them all these Old Testament scriptures and all these promises. And they say, let, let us tell you. Let us tell you how he fulfilled those prophecies about the, about the crucifixion, about conquering death. And so Apollos is there, and for the first time, Apollos is leaning in, and he hears about this Jesus and about his parables and the miracles. And then they tell him for the first time, about his death. Apollos has been teaching about this Jesus that John had told him about, or that he'd heard about through the disciples from John, but he didn't know about the death. And you gotta just imagine Apollos leaning in at this dinner table, just crushed. He's dead? That's what happens to Jesus? He dies? And then imagine these two servants of the Lord leaning in and saying, let me tell you about three days later. Let me tell you when the tomb was rolled, when the, when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. 
Let me tell you about what that means for you, Apollos. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, your sins are forgiven. You have been found Jesus. You have salvation in this. And imagine that meal, that Sabbath meal that Apollos learns us for the first time, the excitement that he would have had as he comes to know Jesus in a real and personal way, in a personal way that his sins were forgiven. He goes back and he takes this newfound knowledge along with his wisdom, along with his great debating, along with his teaching, and he goes and proclaims for Jesus Christ. Verse 27 says, When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So the brothers and sisters in Ephesus now know he has the full knowledge, he has the full story. Welcome him, hear him speak. It says, When he arrived... He was a great help to those who, who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. He now has the rest of the story, and he's using that to proclaim who Jesus is. So Apollos leaves Ephesus. Last time we saw Paul... Paul went to Jerusalem to fulfill the vow, and now Paul comes back. And he comes back to meet his friends. He comes back to see the church at Ephesus. He comes back because he made a promise. Hey, I'm going to be back. I'll return. And so he comes back, and he's, and he's talking with people, and, and he's talking with the believers, and he meets this group, this group of believers, that there's something seems off with them. Chapter 19, verse 1. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Most would believe that these are probably early converts of Apollos. That when Paul, Apollos was teaching of John the Baptist, they were baptized in the way of John the Baptist. They were baptized in the hope of a Messiah to come. They were baptized in the hope that one day a Messiah would come and forgive us. And so there's this hope and this longing that this would come. And Paul encounters them and says, whoa, wait a second, guys. Let me tell you the rest of the story. And so Paul brings him under his wing. And, and Luke doesn't illustrate, it doesn't tell us everything Paul said, but I'm sure there's a lot of deep theological discussions. But verse 4 says, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Imagine you're there. These 12 men have been learning underneath, uh, under Paul. And Paul says, oh, guys, if you were excited about what you were baptized in earlier, uh, baptized in a hope, in a desire that the Messiah would come, well, let me tell you, he's here. The Messiah has come, and not only has he come, he's conquered death. He's conquered your sin. Are you willing to follow him with your whole heart? Are you willing to follow him with your whole life? And they are, and they get baptized. And imagine the excitement as we see this story. It's so easy to, to miss this point. It's so easy to miss the, the excitement that's there. Imagine if 12 men in this church accepted Jesus Christ for the first time. Imagine if 12 men were to be baptized on a Sunday morning. 
and the influence that they would have on their work or at their school, the influence they would have on their families. Uh, imagine this, uh, this scene, that these 12 men have wives probably, and those wives are inspired, and those wives come to believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized, and their kids, and maybe their brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, maybe the grandparents. Families are impacted. Those families go back to their homes, and those streets are impacted. These 12 men change everything for Christ because Christ has changed everything in their life. And so it continues, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were 12 men in all. So the Holy Spirit comes and, and the Holy Spirit brings us gifts. And at this time, remember the, the scripture, we didn't, they didn't have the New Testament like we have today. They had the Old Testament and, and they had the message of Jesus, which was passed down orally. <coughs> and so God oftentimes will see, we've seen all throughout the book of Acts, that there was miracles and great things and great signs that were accompanied to prove that this was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this was the gospel of our Lord and Savior. And so these men receive the, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit of tongues and of prophesying as a way to see that this is to confirm that this is the message. I believe that, that while God can do miracles still, and that he can and he does miracles, but these miraculous gifts aren't bestowed on people anymore like they were back then because now we have the New Testament. Now we have the New Testament, which is our way to, to confirm that this is God's word. We have 2,000 years of church history to confirm that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And so these miraculous gifts are, are present in the story of Acts, but this is the last time that we see these gifts demonstrated in the book of Acts, demonstrated in the New Testament. is here in chapter 19. And so as we get into the story, it concludes, verse 8 says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left him, left them. And this is the last time Paul goes to the synagogue. If you remember the last time he said, I'm changing. I'm not going to the Jews anymore. And it's almost like he said, one more chance. But from here, when he goes into a new town, he, he meets up with the, with the current churches or he meets up with other avenues to reach out to the Gentiles. And so it says, so Paul left them and he took the disciples. I love this. These 12 guys with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the providence of Asia heard the word of God, heard the word of the Lord. I don't think that was just through the mouth of Paul. It says that he took these 12 guys, he took these disciples, and I got to imagine that Paul and these 12 are spreading out so that all of the people, Jews and Gentiles, would hear the word of the Lord because these guys have been changed with the baptism of Jesus Christ. Not just the knowledge about Jesus, but a living and active faith in him. This baptism, this whole idea, it's a beautiful symbol of being buried with Christ and raising again. And that's what these 12 men did. They were no longer baptized in the hope of a Messiah. They were baptized in the fact that he has come. The fact that he has conquered sin, he has conquered death, he is victorious. 
the same message that we have the opportunity to be baptized in. We, uh, I got an opportunity to do a wedding a few weeks ago, and, and I love weddings. Everyone's happy, and, and it's usually a festive occasion. There's been a couple that haven't been, but those are different side stories, right? And so, and one of the times during the wedding is talking about the wedding rings, and, and so it's neat that I'll ask, and we'll talk about the wedding ring and, and the symbolism of the wedding ring. And, and speaking of wedding rings, in case you guys started to see a, a sparkle, if you were blinded slightly by the lights, it was a reflection off of just needs diamond that she just got yesterday, right? She just got engaged. Isn't that exciting? So... Uh, Jessney and Ian Willis uh, just got engaged yesterday, and so they're g- going down this journey now of planning out the wedding, and, and one of those things is the wedding ring, right? And so I was looking at some odd wedding rings today and I, uh, online, and I found two. There's the R2-D2 wedding ring. If anyone is interested, you could get that. Or the new fad that I was trying to tell Jessney she should have done is wedding ring piercings, and so you might be interested in that. But either way, uh, as we talk about the wedding ring, I love the wedding ring because it's a symbol of our marriage, right? It's an outward symbol. If I take this off, I'm still married to Sarah. But this is a reminder to myself every day of the commitment we've made. It's a reminder to, to everyone else, anyone that encounters me, they know that I'm committed to one woman. And through the good times and the bad, she stuck by me. <laughs> As I was thinking about stuff in, in just the past year, I almost lit our neighbor's house on fire. Even through that, she, she still stands by my side, and this is a reminder of that commitment she made. I often think of baptism as the same way, that it's an outward sign of an inward decision, that it's a symbol to everybody that you've decided to accept and follow Jesus Christ. And if you've not been baptized, I want to encourage you I want to ask you why. Maybe you haven't been baptized yet, and you say, well, I've grown up in church, and and I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Uh, Maybe that wasn't the tradition of the church I grew up in, and so I just never got baptized, or maybe I was sprinkled as an infant, and I kind of figured that counted. I want to encourage you to get baptized, because it's an outward symbol of this decision you've made. To set an example for your family, for this family of believers, to make this decision public. Maybe you haven't been baptized yet because you're still questioning, you're still wondering. And, and if that's the case, I want to encourage you to come talk to one of us. There's, there's an elder in the fireside room every Sunday after service. There's someone in the prayer room that would love to talk to you every Sunday. I'd love to meet with you. Give me a holler. We'll meet up throughout the week. We can grab two Cokes at a gambling joint and just talk about it, right? And talk about Jesus. And maybe answer some questions as you're going down this journey. And if you have been baptized, we're about to go into a time of communion. And I pray that this communion and this passage, as we work through the book of Acts, that this would serve as a reminder of the commitment Jesus made to us on the cross. And the commitment he made when he rose. That we have salvation. That we are sanctified. That our sins are washed clean and we have a future eternity in heaven with him. Let this serve as a reminder of your baptism day. Maybe that was one day long ago in a creek. Maybe that was just recently. I don't know your baptism story, but, but look back on that. Remember that this morning. 
As you think about these 12 guys whose lives were changed, these 12 guys who I, I just imagine their families' lives were changed, their neighborhood, their city. These 12 guys that helped Paul spread the word to all of Asia. It started with a baptism. Your story starts there. What are we going to do from there on? If you'll pray with me. Lord, we come to you right now and we just lift up this time of communion. I pray that is a time that serves as a reminder of who you are, of your love for us, of your death on the cross for us. God, if there are people here that have not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you guide them to a person to talk to about that, that they'll make that decision for you and be baptized. Lord, if there are people here that have accepted you as their Savior, but have never taken that step of obedience, you've given us the great commission that says, baptize them as disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Lord, as disciples of Christ, we are to be baptized and help us be able to follow that great commission. And Lord, for those of us here that, that have accepted you, that have been buried with you and rose again, I pray this morning this text would be a reminder to reignite that passion in us. As those 12 guys had that passion when they were baptized to go and proclaim to all of Asia, let us go and proclaim to our homes to our neighbors, to our classes, to our workplaces, who you are, our Savior, in your name.